Hey, it's Lily Jamali. Marketplace Tech has a new limited series out on YouTube called Decoding Democracy. With rapid advancements in new technology like AI, disinformation efforts are more convincing and more misleading than ever. So we'll be discussing how to spot things like deep fakes, how to protect yourself from disinformation, and how to talk to your friends and family about it. As always, this fact-based journalism and vital information will be free and accessible to all. As a public service newsroom, donations from you help us take on ambitious reporting projects like this one. Every single gift makes a difference. Go to marketplace.org slash give tech. To celebrate Marketplace's 35th anniversary, we made some throwback thank you gifts you can get when you donate during this March fundraiser. We took our old dot-com era logo and put it on a sticker, a glass mug, a tote bag, and a t-shirt. No matter how you donate, you can get a fun piece of Marketplace history. Check them out at marketplace.org slash give tech. These limited edition gifts are only available through March 22nd. Get yours at marketplace.org slash give tech. Where, oh, where have all the EV buyers gone? From American Public Media, this is Marketplace Tech. I'm Lily Jamali. We made it to week two of our new Week in Review show, Marketplace Tech Bites. Today, we're going to get into electric vehicle sales and why they're in a slump. That's despite federal tax credits aimed at making EVs more affordable. Automakers are scaling back on production and cutting prices. What happened there? Plus, it's been a year since Netflix introduced ads. They're reporting that 15 million monthly active users are watching. Rewards for binge watchers coming soon. But first, global leaders get a handle on AI, or try to, anyway, with a summit across the pond coming on the heels of an everything-but-the-kitchen-sink executive order from President Biden. Going into Britain's AI Safety Summit on Wednesday and Thursday, 28 countries, including the U.S. and China, signed on to the so-called Bletchley Declaration, warning of AI's potential dangers. My guest this week is Joanna Stern. She's senior personal tech columnist at The Wall Street Journal, and she gave us her main takeaways. You've got a lot of countries coming together to really say, OK, we are focused on AI. We want to work together to protect the the global population from what the threats of AI could be. And then you have them talking in pretty, I mean, pretty good detail about these threats. And in fact, one of the leaders there said yesterday, like, we shouldn't discount what happens in science fiction movies. This can be a scary type of technology. And so, yeah, I would say there's a little bit of fear, but there's a little bit of hope in the sense that all of these countries are are at the table together, which is a, a, a monumental thing, really. It is a big deal. Um, And I'm going to read a little bit from the declaration itself, which reads at one point, there is potential for serious, even catastrophic harm, either deliberate or unintentional stemming from the most significant capabilities of these AI models. This language seems intended to spur action. And I was wondering, what did you make of the tone? Yeah, that's what I said. There's there's this combination of sort of the fear and then there's the hope of these of all these countries working together. And I listened to Kamala Harris's speech and she was 
really trying to bridge that line as well, talking about how the U.S. wants to do more, but we all have to work together to prevent the possibility of catastrophic, as the word you you just said, catastrophic harm that could come from AI. Yeah. One criticism I'm seeing is that it's a little light on specific policy prescriptions, but perhaps uh, that's TBD. But it is a guide and it comes just a day or two after President Biden issued his executive order on artificial intelligence. That covered a lot of ground. What stood out to you there? So I ended up reading through this very, very long executive order. And what really stood out to me is how comprehensive it is. They are looking at so many different forms of regulation and rules around AI from the models and making sure those are safe, the the AI large language models that these companies are making, to how they could be used uh, in terms of our our safety and in terms of domestic security. And then even down to the, the sense of how we know what's real from fake and looking at some of the watermark technologies. So there's a lot in this executive order. And I think it should be reassuring. I mean, the sense that the government has been paying attention to this over the last year, really, it's been a year since ChatGPT hit the computers or wherever we want to say. And people woke up to the potential excitement and fears around AI. Also interesting hearing President Biden talking about falling victim to some of these deep fakes of himself (laughs) as he was making this announcement earlier in the week. But I would say, you know, to your point about um, specificity, there's more of it, I would say, in this executive order than than what we saw in the Bletchley Declaration. There has been some chatter about are the world's great powers, if you will, trying to jockey for moral authority on AI? Um, Can we agree that the Europeans have shown they're better at regulating tech than we are here? I think, well, yes, they they are at least faster at regulating tech. Better, I think that there's, at least in the last number of months, been a lot of questioning around how those regulations can stifle innovation, how they can prevent certain types of technologies from actually being created. And so I think what I have heard a lot of technologists and those in the technology industry talk about this week is, does some of this go too far? Is this going to prevent some companies from being able to create the next big wave of the internet or that, you know, the the next equivalent of the smartphone. And I think those of us in the U.S. and Lily, you probably, you, you lived through this as well as I did, right? The fact that social media was not regulated, that so much of our, our culture and our society has been affected by that. And sure, now some of our lawmakers have caught up to that. We recently saw this, this lawsuit being brought against Meta and the allegations around them creating addictive products for children. I really think the government does not want to be in the situation that it was on social media. Well, a second one of these global AI summits is scheduled for six months from now in South Korea with another to follow in France. Um, We're going to transition to our second story. Um, In a week when the UAW reached a tentative deal with automakers, we look at EVs. Sales are in a slump. Joanna, I have to say I was kind of surprised by this because we saw EV sales soar last year. This year, there is still growth, but it's slowing down. Why do you think that is? I think it's a combination of two things. One is that we're moving now in the EV market from the early adopters to the mainstream. In fact, this year was the year I started covering EVs because I felt like it's starting to move from the people who are just 
super into the, the the new way of driving and the new way of putting computers on wheels to everyone possibly thinking about getting an EV. And so I think that's one of the things that's happening here, right? The the pent up demand. We got a lot of early adopters buying, and now it's okay. Where's the mass market? And then there's also the combination of that companies started making more of these cars, right? Mm-hmm. Ford, GM, Tesla, all of these companies started making many more EVs. And so some of them are now sitting on lots because that demand isn't there. And you've been spending a lot of time looking into the charging infrastructure. Tell me about what that experience has been like for you. Yeah, I I bought my first EV. I did a big piece on narrowing down the choices of which one I would buy. So I ended up buying or leasing a, a Ford Mustang Mach-E. And one of the big things I knew about buying a non-Tesla was that the charging infrastructure is much weaker. And mm-hmm. that's something we're going to see addressed in 2024, as a lot of these companies have now partnered with Tesla to be able to charge at Tesla's network. So that's going to happen in 2024. You'll be able to charge. I'll be able to charge my Ford at a at a Tesla, uh, Rivian, GM, lots of companies have partnered. Mm-hmm. And so that is going to make it more palatable and more, I hope, for many people to want to consider getting an EV because this infrastructure has been so poor. So I I have been looking at this and I've spent honestly so much time at non-Tesla EV stations in the last couple of weeks. I have a piece coming out soon that I you know can't believe I've made it to this podcast. I'm I should literally just have a tent set up at charging stations. <laughs> but like I it mean, sounds a little not, grim, Joanna. <laughs> I, I mean you'll have to come visit and we'll have to record from there. And it's going to be, it's going to be a mess because uh, it really is a mess at some of these stations. And that's another really big roadblock. Mm -hmm. Obviously the Biden administration has been on top of this. They've pledged a lot of money to improve the infrastructure and create and build better charging stations. That is definitely something that is factoring in for people when they're buying right now. I mean, you can charge at home and that is what most people should do, but that's also expensive. I'm so looking forward to these columns from you because I think it's really hard for those of us who don't own an EV to fully grasp how challenging it is. You know, broken charging stations, um, you know, how close is it to your house? If you rent and don't own a house with a garage in it, it's, it's a real challenge to make this work. We'll be right back with more of our conversation with Joanna Stern. You're listening to Marketplace Tech. I'm Lily Jamali, and we're back with Joanna Stern, senior personal tech columnist at The Wall Street Journal. On to our third and final story, Netflix seeing its ad tier hitting 15 million active users per month. This was introduced last year back when subscriber growth was slowing down, as was revenue. And the premise was, you know, cheaper plan, but you pay for that by having to sit through ads. So what do you make of the response from consumers a year into this experiment, Joanna? From what I've heard from consumers, there's less frustration on on the ad situation, right? This is maybe some switch from the paid to the, the ad models. Maybe they didn't. I've heard a lot more frustration from consumers. My inbox is actually pretty full of complaints mm. from consumers about some of the password crackdown they they did. And so that probably did force more people to start paying. But for those that have, you know, kind of missed this, Netflix said last year they're going to start cracking down on password sharing. So if you had shared your Netflix yeah. subscription with, you know, your uncle and your aunt and your, you know, your high school boyfriend or whoever, and <laughs> you, you know, had 
eight people, whatever, using this thing, well, they were going to start to crack down on that and look at, okay, where's the IP address? Who's how many people are really watching on this account? And they really cracked down on that. So I've I've heard some complaints about that from people. Um, actually, yeah. as I said, quite a few complaints um, versus on the ad side, which this is really interesting because we have seen this uptick in ads and more ads. And, and you know, we had this downturn of, of ads last year, and now it seems to be coming back. So mm-hmm. this plan seems like, you know, what they're, they're saying here is they're going to actually cut back on some of the ads, which is a nice thing for someone who signed up for this tier. Do you think Netflix wants more of us on the ad tier? Is that better from them from a revenue perspective? I think they probably still want some mix of you actually paying for the, the higher tier uh, subscription plans. Those tend to, I would assume, be more profitable. But I think what they really want is they want more people paying. Right. So the yeah. more they have, as I'm talking about these subscription folks, right, like people got kicked out of these accounts. And so when they got kicked out, they wanted them to sign up for another account. They wanted them to sign up for the subscription. So, OK, let's make that ad tier more palatable for those people who were never paying. That's right. I actually did a story on the uh, subscription crackdown, the the sharing, the password sharing crackdown in Philadelphia over the summer. And that really drove home to me these very complicated arrangements a lot of us have come up with, you know, with like aunts and uncles and, and yes, old boyfriends with like multiple of these different streaming services. It gets very complicated very quickly. And um, my sense was, you know, people were going to be choosy. OK, where's the content that I really need, not the stuff that's kind of playing in the background? So I think the streaming services that serve up more prestige content might have an edge there. It'll be interesting to see. My favorite also, part think- of this... Oh, Sorry, just to, but I also think it's about churn, right? That that's the last thing they want is people unsubscribing every time, you know, the show they've been watching is off, right? That's what yeah. so many of us have started to do. So they want to prevent that churn. So if they make that ad tier, again, more it, easier to watch and you're not watching as many ads, but you're still getting your content, well, that might stop you from canceling that subscription when, I don't know, whatever show you've watched on Netflix is over. Right, right. Well, here's my favorite part of this story. Netflix is going to start cutting down the ads if you are binging something. So as somebody who recently binged the Beckham documentary, possibly more than once, um, I feel a little manipulated here. (laughs) Right. But that's why I think like it also might be after you finish watching that net, the the Beckham documentary, you might actually say, "Okay, I didn't watch as many ads. I know you didn't get it this time, but next time you you watch the <laughs> the documentary, okay, I'm I'm going to stick with Netflix. I'm I'm not going to just cancel after I've watched that documentary or series." That was Joanna Stern of the Wall Street Journal. You can find the full video of this episode of Marketplace Tech Bytes Week in Review on our YouTube channel, Marketplace APM. And subscribe if you haven't already to watch us every Friday. And you can keep up with Joanna's personal tech columns, including her forthcoming pieces on the nation's EV charging networks and all the drama involved in building them out. We've linked to her work on our website, marketplacetech.org. There you'll also find my adventures at a gas station in Philly. Shout out to our listeners in Mount Airy, where I interview drivers about the great Netflix password sharing crackdown. As Joanna mentioned, it's one of those stories that people have a lot to say about. Netflix isn't alone among streamers pushing deeper into ads. Roku had a very good week. The move of ad dollars from good old fashioned TV to over the top looks like it's actually starting to gel. 
We loved this week's write-up on President Biden's AI executive order from Platformer. Casey Newton offers that anecdote about President Biden talking about being deepfaked himself from the East Room at the White House. As these guidelines and frameworks and guardrails, whatever you want to call them, come together, corporate capture is a big worry. The Platformer Post looks at the infighting within the AI industry, some insiders accusing dominant players like OpenAI of ChatGPT fame of playing gatekeeper as they try to keep open source competitors out. To hear more of our conversation, check out our website, marketplacetech.org. Our senior producer, Daisy Palacios, and Daniel Shin produced this episode. Jesus Alvarado and Rosie Hughes also produce our show. Gary O'Keefe is our engineer. Kelly Silvera is our executive producer. I'm Lily Jamali, and that's Marketplace Tech. This is APM. We all want to be our best selves, but it can be an expensive journey. From experimenting with alternative medicine... I was working with a natural, holistic nutritionist and never really thought about the cost. To splurging on fast fashion. I was spending like all my tips. I was definitely spending like $200 a week. I'm Rima Hreis, host of Marketplace's This Is Uncomfortable. This season, we explore the cost of self-care and the real motivations behind our spending choices. Listen to This Is Uncomfortable wherever you get your podcasts.